Welcome back to the podcast. This is As Lutheran As It Gets, a wonderful, invigorating, provocative podcast about all things Lutheran that we do here at Higher Things for you. Mm -hmm. As always, we are your hosts, Pastor Christopher Gillespie. Merry Christmas. Ho, ho, ho. Ho, 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 ho. And I am Pastor Donovan Riley, and as Pastor Gillespie noted, uh, if all goes well, you will be listening to this at Christmas time, specifically Christmas Day-ish, possibly. I don't know. Somewhere around there. I know I scheduled the Nagel podcast we did last year to come out on Christmas Day. Are we a year into this already? We are a year into this already. Oh, wow. So regardless of what you hear come Christmas time, you will have the opportunity on Christmas Day to listen to us. <laughs> there's, there's nothing more festive. Right. You know, the whole family gather around the uh, the fire and listen to Riley and Gillespie. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the old days sitting around the radio in the living room. But uh-huh. Yeah. Now opening their, opening their presents. You can. Right. Uh, by the way, you can send us presents. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> at higherthings.org slash support. That's right. Uh, uh, presents are, are welcomed. You can support Higher Things. There is a link at the website if you would like to support us financially. And also do it at the front end anyways. If you have questions for us or if there is a Lutheran theologian or text you would like us to look at, we would be happy to do that. So send us an email or text. And also, if you think we deserve it, go and leave a five-star rating for us at iTunes. If you don't think we deserve it, why waste your time and energy writing a negative review? <laughs> think positive. Think positive, exactly. Yeah. Be kind. And if you want you know, other Luther stuff, listen to the yeah. the uh, Large Catechism show. It's on, uh, or, or watch, actually, on YouTube. Right, on right? YouTube. Pastor yeah, Goodman's the Largely show. Catechized Life. Right, and you can do, uh, what else do we have? Psalms we, with Vandercook. Right, and he brings and, Luther to play. That's right. And Confessions with Pastor Earhart. Oh, that's right. Yes, uh, yeah. on Tuesdays, I believe, right? Right, I think so. And a plethora of legacy content published every day and every week. Video shorts, Correct. catechism, videos, worship videos, articles, devotions, you can name it. And then there is the brand new podcast, Sermons for You, which come out every Sunday. Or two Monday, episodes. As the case may be. <laughs> well, I, I was going to say, that's true. So as you are listening to this, Pastor Fenker and Pastor Borgart and Pastor Riley and who's after me, you? Yeah, I think so. And Pastor Gillespie are on deck for the four Sundays in Advent. Yeah. So um, our staff. Basically, our, a podcast, right. a sermon podcast right. from the staff, so you can hear what yes. we teach in our congregations. Right. And if you would like to contribute to higher things, articles, vlogs, a podcast, whatever it may be, again, email us at higherthings.org. Yep. Media, right? Yep. Media at higherthings.org. Not just there pastors, right? Uh, no, anybody. not just pastors. Anybody. Anybody. And so, yeah, go check out everything at the website and support us. And thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to this podcast. And a Merry Christmas Tide or Christ Mass to you all. Mm-hmm. For this episode, then, since this is a Christmas episode and we went through Nagel last year, this year we are going to go into Luther's Works, Volume 21. 
to the OG, and, right? The OG, the Magnificat. When I was at seminary, there was an elective course, six-week course, entitled Readings in the Theology of the Cross. Hmm. And this, the Magnificat, was the first text we read. Yeah, we didn't have a class like that, but we did have a Luther's reading class. And mm -hmm. I actually took it twice because you didn't read the right. same things. It just depended on whatever the the uh, the current thrill of the professor was, you know, which Luther, right. uh, maybe right. because he was working on, you know, a paper or something like that for a journal. Exactly. Yeah. So we read with them and then that helps him just kind of distill what he's going to write for the, yeah. for the article. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the thing about the Magnificat, the thing about Mary that Luther draws out, which we'll dig into, is that rather than being an example of, say, Christian womanhood hmm. or virtuous, pious behavior, Luther sees her as an example of a theologian of the cross. Right, because the angel greets her. And then she says, right. um, what the heck, right? <laughs> yeah, right. I, I, uh, essentially. I, I, she ponders these things, right? Uh, she right. considers them, just like Joseph does when the angel speaks to him. He's like, oh, I got to figure out how to, <laughs> what am I going to do with that? In the contemporary uh, Broadway musical version of the Magnificat, that would be the song title, what the heck? <laughs> it's, you know, well, and it, it goes with that whole, uh, what do you want to say, the, the, the kind of Sunday, Sunday school ethos approach to, uh, to the prophets and evangelists and the saints of right. old as like they're these noble virtuous characters that had no doubts mm -hmm. or worries or struggles or that God's word was like instantly received by, by them, you know, <laughs> right. with no struggle. Uh, but coming and say, you will conceive. Um, uh, how right uh, wait wait a minute but i'm not married and the punishment for becoming pregnant outside of wedlock is ultimately execution mm -hmm. so there's a lot riding on this yeah. and by the way an angel of the lord appears to her and says uh you're gonna have a baby but don't worry it won't be by a man or any man it'll be from the holy spirit that makes total sense Yes. <laughs> I mean, if you consider the fact that we struggle, we struggle to believe that the Lord's Supper is the body and blood of Christ. Imagine the shock of being told point blank by an angel of the Lord, you're going to have a baby. Well, so it's, it, you know, God's good gifts coming, becoming under weakness, under, you know, signs right. that can, that would be rejected. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, is that, isn't that the, the carpenter's son? Isn't, that, isn't he from Nazareth? Anything good come from right. there? Which... As you and I have talked about off air, it's almost like an, uh, a derogatory comment. Aren't you Joseph the Carpenter's son? Can't hit, nudge, nudge, wink, because wink. the answer is no, you're not. We all know about you. And we all know it. Yeah, we all know. Yeah. We all know. <laughs> Anyone who grew up in a small town or ministers in a small town knows about small town gossip. Mm. <laughs> Everyone, it's all, it's always an open secret. <laughs> Don't, people are talking. Right. No one is allowed to talk about it, but everyone knows about it. <laughs> and if there is no gossip, people will just make it up. Well, what, or I should say, if there's nothing to gossip about, people will invent things to gossip about. I mean, what else are you going to talk about over the coffee, right? Right. Well, pre-internet, pre-TV, pre-media, that's all you got is gossip. That's the news of the day. That's that's everything. That's what you got. That's yeah. how storytelling and, and, hist and historians got jobs. Again, if you want to see this play out fictionally, go read Nathaniel Hawthorne's short story, The Black Veil. 
yeah, about a minister whose wife sure. dies. And this is the epitome of what we're discussing. And it's Hawthorne's examination of not only the human nature, but what what happens when original sin is given freedom in a community to run free. Fun times. And the fact that in the absence of an actual crisis or in the absence of an actual scandal, we will invent one. And and there is a way that that's motivating or productive. I mean, it's it's counterintuitive. You think it's only destructive. Um, but it's like, you know, we need something to argue about, something to fight, you know, right. something to keep us busy. And if right. we don't have that, we're, we want that constant anxiety, that tension, that right. struggle. Hmm. Well, and another place to go read about this is Dostoevsky's novel, The Idiot, and the character of Prince Mishkin. Because in The Idiot, Prince Mishkin is the idiot, he enters into upper middle class Russian society, which is, according to Dostoevsky, obsessed with superficial matters, superficial things. Mm-hmm. And... It is debaucherous and overly sexualized and overly concerned with fashion and appearance. But below the surface, there is nothing. These people are spiritually impoverished and they only live for the affirmation of others. And their entire culture, their entire society is predicated on this. And into this then enters Prince Mishkin, who, because he is appears to be anyways unaffected by these these concerns is judged to be an idiot. Well, and there's some advantage to just playing the moron card as the new guy, right? Well, in uh, for Dostoevsky, Mishkin is the Christ figure in the story. He is mm. Christ because everyone tempts Mishkin. Everyone attempts to drag him down to their level, which they believe is elevating him up to their level. And he refuses. He simply... And it's not that he explicitly says no. It's simply... He is so in the moment and so aware of what is real that he simply announces the reality of the situation in such a way that, again, people judge him to be an idiot. Yeah, don't you know, it's it's a lot more complicated than that. <laughs> exactly, exactly. If you only knew how I ended up in this situation, you'd know why I have to do this. And his response is no judgment, no response, but simply to point to the reality of what is going on in this person's life, whether they are tempted and and fall prey to alcohol abuse or uh, sexual perversions or just a general kind of hedonism, whatever it may be, it's, it's a wonderful character study, mm-hmm. um, both in The Black Veil and in The Idiot for what we're talking about. And I think that's the thing for me anyways, personally, that's why I love Dostoevsky is because he spent 10 years essentially in prison. Right. And when he comes out of prison, rather than double down on his previous revolutionary activities, rather than becoming a full-blown atheist, anarchist, revolutionary, instead he comes out having read a New Testament probably hundreds of times, Mm -hmm. read it to others and taught people to read out of the New Testament even while he was in prison, he actually seeks a Christian life based on his readings of the Gospels, specifically the teachings of Christ. But not in the way that Tolstoy did of that Christ is our moral example, but rather Christ as the idiot, as the one who comes in grace and truth. 
<laughs> that Jesus is the reality filter for the world. Shows us how things really are. Exactly. And shows us our need for unconditional forgiveness, unconditional love and acceptance. But within the context, we would call it law gospel preaching, that the law mm-hmm. reveals reality to us so that we can then see the cross of Jesus Christ for what it actually is. Not what it represents, not theories of the atonement, but the actual atonement itself. I was talking about this with the children in, in confirmation class, and they, as they call it here, and um, they, I mentioned the cross, and they're like, well, isn't that like a torture device? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, yeah, I said, but where does the king reign? We were talking about Jesus as king. I said, well, sure. I mean, where's his throne? And it's like, it's actually his cross. It doesn't look right. like it. Uh, that's his glory. But, and that's where he's the most glorious for us, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, as he's dying to save us. And, uh, but, but it doesn't look that way. And that's what's so challenging for us is that right. the reality is revealed to us by the scripture, and yet it's contrary to our reason, it's contrary to our expectation. And you mentioned this in beginning, and this is a good jumping off point into the text that, that Luther draws out of the Magnificat. God is found in rejection and in the oppressed and the marginalized, the worthless, those who are despised and hated mm-hmm. by not only the world, but by Christians who essentially run their their faith and their piety through the lens of morality. Hmm. And, and respectability. And... Respect, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Like what Prince Mishkin encounters in Dostoevsky's book, The Idiot. That what we judge to be the way things ought to be in the Christian church and for Christians, more often than not, is religious idolatry functioning under the, the mask of Christianity. But then when Jesus actually preaches and comes, it's to those who are unattractive, unappreciated, rejected, despised, stricken, smitten, and afflicted, as the hymn says. Mm-hmm. And thus, even the prophet says, we will turn our face away from him. And yet, ironically and tragically, in our zeal to be religious, we reject Christ. Right. And then the corollary, too, is that we also turn our faces away from others, you know, who we mm-hmm. also... Um, who we see as weak or right? Uh, in, yeah, we don't see Christ in the other. We see mm-hmm. well, actually, the re- as we were talking about before we went on air, what we notice in others. The reason we notice it is because we ourselves have it. Yeah the the lack of self awareness of our own capacity, or even right. actually the way that we are just like them, right? Yeah. You know, right. it's like, well, we want to judge the person who had, I don't know, for example, had a divorce, right? Mm-hmm. And yet we don't recognize the way that we break our own marriage. Um, right. But through more subtle and maybe even more uh, devious schemes. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And I talked to you yesterday about this, that I think one of the revolutions in my approach to the pastoral vocation is, in recent years in particular, is that rather than tell other people how to change, how to be more faithful, whatever it may be, I need to look in the mirror. Mm -hmm. That the problems that I might have with other people or why aren't people doing what I want them to do? Why aren't people doing what I tell them to do? It begins with go in the bathroom, turn on the light and look in the mirror and you'll find your answer. You need to change your own heart. And once you change your own heart, you'll discover how 
nearly impossible it is to change someone else's heart. And hopefully in that there is repentance. Right. So the the external criticism of the church that it, it's full of hypocrites uh, mm-hmm. is absolutely true. The, right. the problem is uh, the hypocrisy runs so deep that we don't even recognize it. Right. Because everybody, we've always done it this way. Mm-hmm. Or everybody's this like that. <laughs> the watchword of the church is we've always done it this way. Or yeah, he's always been that way. Or we've always been this way. As if we've always done it this way is a justification to continue doing something that is, as you pointed out, a pious lie, mm-hmm. essentially. Yeah. And to then go to the text, this is what Luther will draw out of the Magnificat. And yes, in the late medieval Roman Catholic monastic tradition, even in the mystic tradition of the late Middle Ages, this is what Luther is drawing upon for his commentary on the Magnificat. However, there's going to be a twist. This is pretty early, right? 1521. 21. March 10th, 1521. And the twist is in the mystic tradition and in the late medieval Roman Catholic monastic tradition, we are to go inward in our suffering and inward in our oppression to discover the Christ in us Hmm. versus what Luther is going to do, which is to externalize this, to turn us outside of ourself. Because as Luther will say many, many times in many places, to go inward is his definition of original sin, to be curved in on ourself. Right, because by doing so, uh, the voice that you listen to is your own and not to the the external voice, the the word of God. Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. That the voice you hear when you go inward is not God's voice, it's your voice, but you then claim it as God's voice because Mm -hmm. you want to be God in God's place, which is original sin. God, you're really saying. (laughs) Right, right. That's that's not piety, that's false piety. Mm Mm-hmm. It's idolatry for Luther in the end. It's, it's funny because I was listening, speaking of medieval Catholicism, I, uh, I don't know what radio to listen to up here and I didn't have, I didn't feel like, <laughs> I have such a short drive, I didn't even figure, feel like right. plugging in my iPhone to listen to a podcast. And uh, so I got relevant ra- radio going in the background mm-hmm. and uh, the, the father comes on, the father priest, and he's, he's like, well, you know, Jesus really wants us to work on our salvation with him. You know, he gives us, he gives us um, the opportunity and mm-hmm. but don't worry if you don't get it all done in this life as you know as very few people do then he also gives us purgatory where where he works it out um, immediately you know right. so that so, like it all sounds really nice but where did this come from again right right <laughs> it comes from what we want that's how we want it to work right you know let's Ugh. we're going to we're going to prove ourselves to you god i'm like oh well that's pretty bald but it's right there as if this as if there's not enough work to do in this life we'll let you work it out for 10,000 years in the next life, uh, in the in-between life. Uh, Ugh. The time Ugh. between times or whatever. Yeah, Ugh, That's horrific. It was, it was. And it's... somehow that's meant to be a comfort to, to Christians who are struggling um, right. with, with their lack well, of good work. That's, that's their version of a stewardship sermon. <laughs> it's spiritual stewardship. Yeah, because you can still attack uh, plenary indulgences to that, even though um, they're... Correct. they're they're sometimes called something different. But, but. <laughs> right, exactly. We'll just, we'll put some makeup on it and put it in a pretty dress and there, see? It's not it's horrific. A, it's a building campaign. <laughs> right. So let's dive into what is essentially Dr. Luther's meditation on uh, what a theologian of the cross is and how a theologian of the cross is made. This is beginning in March 10th, 1521 then. 
In order properly to understand this sacred hymn of praise, we need to bear in mind that the Blessed Virgin Mary is speaking on the basis of her own experience, in which she was enlightened and instructed by the Holy Spirit. No one can correctly understand God or His Word unless he has received such understanding immediately from the Holy Spirit. But no one can receive it from the Holy Spirit without experiencing, proving, and feeling it. In such experience, the Holy Spirit instructs us, as in his own school, outside of which nothing is learned but empty words and prattle. When the Holy Virgin experienced what great things God was working in her, despite her insignificance, lowliness, poverty, and inferiority, the Holy Spirit taught her this deep insight and wisdom, that God is the kind of Lord who does nothing but exalt those of low degree and put down the mighty from their thrones. In short, break what is whole and make whole what is broken. Yeah, he loves those almost paradoxical statements, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. he loves those statements. Well, or and binary or you know, black and white. And, yeah. Dichotomous. Uh-huh, yeah. Yeah, or as we would say, it's the symbol. Hmm. God working in the symbol. Right, is, well, because he, he does... saints he, while we are simultaneously sinners. Yeah, because he, he applies this not, you know, to one he breaks and the other he makes whole, but rather yeah. he does this simultaneously to everyone. Right, right, right. right. And yet, simultaneous to that, Luther is following the theology of the Psalms, mm-hmm. that those who have elevated themselves, God will tear down. And yeah. not in the abstract, not metaphorically, but in actual concrete reality. And those who are lowly, that is, in the Hebrew, humble, that is, people of no importance, such as Psalm 113, they are of no importance because of those who have elevated themselves. And mm. they're the ones who then look down, again, going back to the example of the idiot, those who have elevated themselves artificially, we would say, without any legitimate cause, but simply for the sake of elevating themselves in a very facile, shallow um, uh, sense, um, artificial. Mm -hmm. Those who are then made to be low, at least in my experience, are those who are not able to elevate themselves in a superficial way. These are, for example, lower working poor, lower class working poor people. Yeah. People that just don't have an opportunity to, they don't have a dime to spend on something extravagant. For them, extravagance is at Christmas time, they might buy a, a double smoked ham from the butcher. Yeah, and they might buy a toy for their child on layaway. Right, right exactly. <laughs> they'll pay for it for the next six months or something. And thus, in the theology of the Psalms, then yeah, absolutely. It's not just that he's doing this to everyone simultaneously, but God actually hates those who are high-minded or haughty, as it's sometimes translated. That's a, that's a really helpful insight to think, you know, that Mary is of insignificance or lowly or in poverty. Yeah, or of no infer- importance. Her, her inferiority, it, it's a relative judgment. It's in comparison to others, mm-hmm. but, but not, in, not in regards to how God esteems her, right? Correct. And I think Luther will get to this on the next page, but again, quoting the Psalms or following the theology of the Psalms, the lower you are, 
the easier it is for God to see you <laughs> because God looks into the depths. And for Luther, this is so important that God does not stand in his penthouse and look down on the city, but rather God is in the lowest depths of the basement. Yeah. Sheol. Sheol, exactly. And therefore in the abyss, if we are in the abyss, he sees us because that's where he looks. Yeah. So it's not as if God has a split vision or he uses bifocals. He looks at the high and mighty and the lowly and those of no importance and treats them equally. But rather in the theology of the Psalms, those who are high and mighty, he tears down that he might see them and then redeem them. It's like, when does the, the prodigal, when does he recognize the love of his father? When he's, he's in, yeah, the abyss. And when there's nothing left he's, and yeah. he's with the pigs. Yeah. Yeah. And then he remembers the way the father at least loves his hired servants, right? Correct, correct. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So to understand this hymn, Mary speaks on the basis of her own experience. Now in the present tense, every time I've read this with congregation members, when I read it at the seminary, students would be quick to jump at this. Mm. It's my own experience then that determines whether or not I will be a theologian of the cross. Versus the next sentence, which is what? We receive understanding from the Holy Spirit. Yeah. The experience is the experience of being spoken to. Again, something coming from outside of us to us, but also the Holy Spirit coming from outside of us to us. And then he says, no one can receive understanding from the Holy Spirit without experiencing, proving, and feeling it. Mm -hmm. So, for example, I mean, if we just think of what happened to Mary... Uh, apart from the angel's word. I mean, obviously mm -hmm. it happened as a result of the angel's word, but um, they spoke by God. But, uh, you know, it's an unwanted pregnancy, um, unexplainable, um, going to bring great cause of, you know, shame and hurt, worry, right. probably death for her. Right. And, uh, but a, and so the only way you can understand that is with the work of the Holy Spirit to say, okay, here's what this means. Right. right, because as he points out, and here's the key thing then, so that we don't interpret this therapeutically, because mm -hmm. the word feel, he then follows that up with, what does she experience? Well, she experiences great things, God working in her, despite her insignificance, lowliness, poverty, and inferiority. So what she is taught is this deep insight and wisdom that she is in fact of no importance whatsoever which is why God chooses her. And therefore, in the moment of her praising God for these great things, she's simultaneously made aware of why God is doing these great things. And the reason is because you're nobody. And that's why I've chosen you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in the life of a, of a congregation, I mean, the, uh, experience this already that there's there can be, you know, um, difficult times. <laughs> mm -hmm. People say or do things... Um, that you know are received as an insult or you know as personal injury uh, right but we also know that these things can actually show us our sin we can learn mm -hmm. uh, to recognize you know not only the sin of another but but our own the way that we also are complicit in that um, right or perpetuate it and you know all through that great thing happens that god actually tells us that this is how he brings about repentance right 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 by, by tearing down the the, the uh the uh, exalted. <laughs> Correct. And therefore, 
in a modern, in a contemporary Christian sense, we fall victim often to the temptation of thinking therapeutically, well, I need to build you up. Mm-hmm. And that by building you up and making you feel good about yourself, especially feel good about yourself in relation to your own Christianity, your own faith in relation to God, now there's an opportunity to you to repent because now you're aware of how good you've got it and yeah. how easily that can be taken away again. And therefore, don't you want to repent of your sin so that you don't lose your status before God versus actually God wants to reduce you to nothing mm-hmm. so that... True repentance is an entire looking to God for his word, for everything, for your every good. Right. So, for example, you could have a um, you know congregation or family that's at peace, but but with like an artificial sort of peace that's just like, we're going to agree to, to disagree or agree just right. to get along, whereas, you know, God's objective is actually to bring a peace that 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 comes only in the forgiveness of the sins. The world doesn't understand. Yeah, the world doesn't understand. That's right. We're we're actually we confess and we cover each other's shame. We forgive each other. Right. Um, in in the name of Christ, that He brings right. that about by His Spirit. Which which <laughs> yeah. Here's the impossibility. Then through our own experience, we can't feel this because, as you just pointed out. What happens then when we are, quote unquote, blessed by God's word, by his spirit, is that we will be made not less insignificant, not less lowly, not less poor, not less inferior, but more. Yeah, and especially before the world. Not because the Holy Spirit wants us to suffer in this sense, but rather we will suffer on account of the world. Mm -hmm. We will suffer from the attacks of the evil one, and we will suffer on account of our own sin. Yeah. Because... The old Adam does not want to be poor, lowly, inferior, or insignificant. <laughs> That's kind of the whole human project in a nutshell, <laughs> is to not be that. Right. And if you're going to deal deal with how other people feel about you or think about right. you, right. Uh, either way, um, you know, they may have a, a low regard for you, mm-hmm. but let it be because you forgive one another not because right. uh, you you're always at odds and you're always arguing you know yeah. or you refuse refuse to to repent let it at least be for the sake of the gospel that they refuse you or that they well, consider you weak think about it this way too i just made a note to myself imagine if you you acknowledge it and embrace this that to be a theologian of the cross is to be showing up as being insignificant, lowly, poor, and inferior, all for the glory of God. Imagine this is your church's prayer on Christmas Eve and Christmas morning, that you pray, Lord God, in your mercy, make us insignificant, lowly, poor, and inferior, that your Holy Spirit might impart to us the deep insights and wisdoms of your Mm. will. Beautiful. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who with you and the Holy Spirit live and reign now and forever. Amen. Can you imagine the shock? that would run through a congregation, especially on Christmas Eve night, if that was the prayer. Because meanwhile, what do we hope for? Oh, a full house, right. chairs in the aisle, nowhere to park, because right. there's so many people. <laughs> right. Grand and it's, glorious uh, singing. <laughs> it's like we've won a major award. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's the church's uh, lamp. It, go watch A Christmas Story, folks. <laughs> yeah. or uh, It's a major movie. award. <laughs> That's uh you know, you need to wear your flair. That's right. You don't have 30 pieces of flair. That's how you're significant. <laughs> right. But uh, yeah, if this doesn't if this doesn't get traction with you, just imagine this as a prayer spoken in church any any Sunday. Or if this were the mission statement on the do- above the door of your church, 
we here at St. John's Lutheran <laughs> strive to be insignificant, lowly, poor, and inferior, that the gospel of Jesus Christ might reach all people. It actually sounds like some monastic traditions. It does, like, exactly. Mm-hmm. Because as I said, Luther coming out of that tradition himself, he recognizes there is value in this, and it is biblically based. It's not the, it's not the thesis that, that sends us in the wrong direction, it's the conclusion. Ah, I see. Because in the monastic tradition, you strive to be these things. Whereas in order says, to in, merit. Yes. Right. To, because Jesus did, mm-hmm. and therefore follow his example. Whereas what Luther's arguing is that apart from the Holy Spirit, this doesn't happen. And by the way, this is contrary to human nature. Right. And therefore, we actually fight against this because in if we want to talk about a negative theology of the cross we actually glorify and glory in our insignificance, poverty, lowliness, and inferiority. (laughs) And we will use that as a justification for our own righteousness. Yeah. Look how much poorer I am than Gillespie. It's almost like, uh, you know, the Jerusalem church. And then then things got a little rough, so they had to write Paul and say, yeah, we're going to swallow our pride here and ask for some help (laughs) now. Right, right. Because we gave it all away. Right. We don't like you and you don't like us, but (laughs) we need your dollars. (laughs) Because so, uh, we went a little overboard with our with our piety here. <laughs> the the summary then for Luther is at the end of the paragraph, God does nothing but lift up those who are low and put down the strong from their thrones. That is, he breaks what is whole and makes whole what is broken. Yeah. The reversal. Right. Which, again, going back to the language of clinical practical psychology, the whole purpose of therapy is to make whole what is broken. Mm-hmm. Whereas he's saying, no, you don't understand. Like when you, the more you strive to be whole, the less God's word can have its way with you. It's that simultaneity again. Yeah. And he will, he will break you. Right. If you, yeah, he will break you, be humble or you will be humbled. Mm-hmm. So to continue, just as God in the beginning of creation made the world out of nothing, whence he is called the creator and the almighty. So his manner of working continues unchanged. We call that creatio ex nihilo, I believe. Creation out of nothing. By the way, in Platonic philosophy, in Greco-Roman philosophy, there was something. And the gods fashioned the world and the universe out of something. And in fact, even amongst the rabbis, in the beginning, God was over the abyss. Mm -hmm. And some modern rabbis will interpret that as there was a stuff that was there. And then God, like a woodcutter or a woodworker in his shop, makes something out of the pieces. Oh, wow. Whereas in the Christian tradition, we argue going back to the early fathers, he creates out of nothing that yeah. which is pleasing to him. Before God was, there was not. Right. <laughs> and you can see this in St. Augustine, for example, in later Augustine when he struggles with double predestination because he also wants to argue that there was something before creation. At the very least, God deciding who we're going to be the sheep and who we're going to be the goats. And the reality is, is that God has not revealed to us what is before. <laughs> no, no. Everything that we can know of God is located in the person of Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. who is the fullness of the image of God, as Paul says in Colossians. Right. So in the beginning, God made the world out of nothing, which is why we call him creator and almighty. And by the way, in case you wondered, his work continues unchanged. Mm -hmm. The way he works. Right. Even now and to the end of the world, all of his works are such that out of that which is nothing, worthless, 
despised, wretched, and dead. He makes that which is something precious, honorable, blessed, and living. On the other hand, whatever is something precious, honorable, blessed, and living, he makes to be nothing worthless, despised, wretched, and dying. And if only we saw that, right? <laughs> Oof. That's that's a that's a deal breaker. That's a mic drop. Yeah, because we put so much mm, trust, I would say, yeah. in in in, our, in the precious things, you know, that we. No, have. absolutely. Mm-hmm. He makes to be nothing, worthless, despised, wretched, and dying. Those who are precious, honorable, blessed, and living, and this goes back again to Mishkin and the idiot. Mishkin represents to the society around him the worthless, the despised, the wretched, and the dying, and he somehow seems to embrace it as if this is the way it's supposed to be. And their entire program is to be precious, honorable, blessed, and living. And therefore, he is an affront to polite society because he is a reality filter and his very presence in their midst reveals to them, reflects back at them like a mirror that they live in an entirely artificial unreality. Yeah, I'm kind of struck by the the uh, Apostles' Creed, you know, and the way that we learn it uh, in the Catechism, you know, that everything is credited to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit mm-hmm. from beginning to end, from mm-hmm. creation all the way through redemption into right. into eternity. Um, and I, I'm struck to, as, as to, like, how would somebody write themselves into that creed? <laughs> oh, and yet we do. <laughs> well, we do, but I mean, we don't say it, but I have to think, yeah. you know, well, how do we make ourselves into the creator, mm-hmm. right? Well, we're like co-creators, right? Right, right. Mm-hmm. As you know. Mary is called co-redemptrix in the Roman mm-hmm. Catholic tradition. Right, so they write Mary into the second article. Yes. Um, and then we really write ourselves pretty well into the third article. We love you know? <laughs> Well, I was just thinking, as you mentioned that, that really what we write ourselves into in relation to the third article is our piety, our holiness, our obedience, things that we believe are self-generated. Or at the very least, as you pointed out, we're cooperating. Yeah. If if not just taking the place of the Holy Spirit, and it's our spirit that that runs runs the runs the show. I was going to say the the way that we as Lutherans justify this is to misread the formula, where it says we cooperate just a little bit. <laughs> the problem is the formulators meant that in the way that a horse is ridden by its rider, not in the Jesus let me take the wheel sort of way. Or Jesus hold my beer sort of way. Because he'd be my co pilot. Right. Because as you pointed out, what we're really doing when we say such things that we cooperate with God is well, actually I'm just claiming that I get to be the Holy Spirit here. That I get to be God and and, and maybe God actually helps out a little bit. Right. You know. Because of course, you know, I'm a little you know, I'm not perfect. I'm I'm a little off the beaten path. Well, and this is the level of our self deception as you as you noted previously too, is the level of our self-deception is we'll actually argue against people that point out that we are falsely pious. (laughs) And that, yes, our language says one thing, but our pattern of behavior says the Mm -hmm. complete opposite. Yeah. So we we move to intent and, you know, well, our heart was in the right place. (laughs) Right. Well, we essentially want to be fruit that grows itself. (laughs) Hmm. So what what would that be? It's like a virus, actually. <laughs> Essentially, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. <laughs> we're, yeah, we're not the fruit. We're the blight that strikes the fruit. Hmm. Apart from the Holy Spirit. Merry Christmas. Nothing. 
<laughs> yeah, right. Unwrap that present. But this just goes to the point too of how we have created an artificial reality of Christmas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Christmas, the one time of year other than Good Friday and for Easter that we draw out, this is where theologians of the cross are made. Instead, we push that to the side, we bracket it, we put that in a cage. We're like, it's like Cinderella, right? When company mm-hmm. comes over, or Harry Potter, when company comes over, go get under the stairs and lock the door behind you. Yeah, don't make we, any noise. We don't even want to know you're there. Don't draw attention. You right. Know. <sighs> Paid no attention Me- to the worthless, despised, wretched, dying woman that God chooses to bear God, <laughs> the Savior, the Son. Yeah. And if you want the if you want the real diagnostic here is look around on Christmas yeah. um, for a crucifix. There you go. Yes, exactly. Don't pay attention to the words. Pay attention to the behavior. Exactly. Like, uh, is it in the closet? Is no, it's it behind, behind the Christmas the tree. tree. It's behind the Christmas tree. <laughs> oh no! That's right. It's masked, literally masked by a tree, uh, just the way God would want it. <laughs> I always make that joke. The kids get it, but the adults never do when they put up the tree and then they put the baby Jesus in the manger under the tree. Mm-hmm. And I go, oh, good. Baby Jesus is under the Christmas tree, exactly where God would want him. <laughs> I love it. Because for me, again, as the techno Viking, it's wonderful for me because the Christmas tree and decorating it comes out of Norse tradition, actually, and Northern Germanic tradition. And so this perfect pairing of of Viking myth and Christianity. It warms the cockles of my heart. That's the symbol, baby. That's the symbol. In all of its in all of its glory and shame, there's the symbol. Jesus yeah, under the, the Christmas tree. Who is the famous saint uh, that uh, evangelized the Germans? And the first thing he does is cut down their sacred tree. Right. And the second and, thing he does is burn. They, yeah, yeah, they not only did happy. he cut it down, he didn't he didn't put it in a tree stand and put it at the front of the church. <laughs> right, 100%. It's like uh, Jim Gaffigan says that when you really think about Christmas, it's like it was invented by a drunk man because we go outside to bring something outside inside. And then we, so we go outside, cut down a tree and bring the tree inside. And then we take lights and we put them outside. <laughs> he says, these are the actions of a drunk man. <laughs> uh, Jim Gaffigan, good times. Yeah. Good times. He's got a new special out. It's really good. I did. I enjoyed it a lot. It's, I didn't what's know it was called uh, a, uh, a gorilla. What's it called? Or ape? Mm, something about an ape. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know but his he, wife wrote a lot of the material for him. She does. She write, Well, she co-writes everything with him. Yeah. yeah and she is, had brain which, cancer. Which is good to know because, yeah, about half the content is about his wife. So I'm glad she wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's true, too. Yeah, very much so. What the heck is the name of that book? Or that stand-up special? It's on Amazon, right? Right. Yeah, that's where I saw it. Noble Ape. Noble Ape. There we go. Which is great, especially when you know that he's a devout Catholic. All right, folks, that's the end of part one of our special Christmas episode. So stay tuned. Next few days here, still in the Christmas season, you'll hear the second part of our exciting Magnificat Magnificent episode. 